This is Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast. Herzlich willkommen. This is Frau Batsby with Hair X. Say hello. Hello. Uh, just to let you know, we have Batling again with us today, so you might hear him in the background making some noise, so apologies in advance, but he's a good backup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is part two of the hunt for Freud October. You can hear all my sources in the first episode if you're curious, because I'm not going to go through them all. Oh, I know. <laughs> this, is, this is very unprofessional of you. <laughs> very unprofessional. <laughs> um, also, we're going to be taking a little break after this episode, so the next episode will be out uh, November 12th, and it, <laughs> I just hear him singing in the background. Um, it will be about artist Egon Schiele, so a controversial artist. Enfant he was uh, in Ghostbusters. You just took my line that I was going to use for the title of the podcast. How many Egons do you know? I'm very mad at you now. <laughs> I knew one, but it was eons and eons ago. <laughs> You're yelling. I'm not yelling. I'm very uh, excited. Are you excited for part two? Very. Okay. I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to close this door for a second. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Oh, no. It's, uh, actually, she's very quick. The door is now... Well... Trust me, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely hear battling yeah. for a little bit. All right, All ready? Right. Okay, so let's, let's do it. So last week uh, was just before 1930 in Austria with Freud, and in 1930 he has a heart attack, and he finally quit smoking because he oh. had a really heavy cigar habit. Uh, inflation is on the rise again. Uh, they're feeling the impact of the Wall Street crash of 29. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> they had the foresight to blame him then. <laughs> of course. Uh, his diary entry, January 29th, 1933, reads, Hitler, Chancellor of Germany. And then in his diary, March 5th, Hitler elected in Germany. Uh, so then on May 10th, 1933, his books are burned by the Nazis in Berlin. Mm. Um, of which Freud says, what progress in the Middle Ages they would have burned me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> give it time. Um, it's also, to me, I think it's funny that Nazis hate therapy. <laughs> They're the ones who need it. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's not even about therapy, right? It's about uh, those elites and, and their words and, and thoughts. <laughs> They're calling Nazis the elites. <laughs> well, I mean, it just shows that populism is it's, uh, it's still around. It's still around. And yeah, the fact that books are a threat. So then we have, uh, we have Batling visiting. Thanks for coming by. Hello. <laughs> and he's leaving. So in November, November 26, 1934, Freud has his lectureship uh, revoked at the university. So for people who don't know, the 1930s, anti-Semitism has become quite mainstream in Germany and Austria. So in 1935, the Nuremberg laws are passed by the Nazi party. And it defined who was Jewish, according to what they've come up with. And this is from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Oh, did I mention this is going to be a really fun episode? <laughs> this is going to be a little bit dark, but we'll, we'll find humor, okay? Well, I, I like that we've progressed, at least now. Uh, we don't you know, have laws as to who is Jewish, but we, who could play Jewish roles and who could play... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So we, Barbara, there's, there's Streisand. Prog- Barbara Streisand can play anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That's the rule. <laughs> and uh, who is it that can play Batman? Meryl, Meryl Streep. <laughs> Um, okay, so let me read some quotes from the United States Memor Holocaust Memorial Museum. So, according to the Nuremberg Laws, a person with three or four Jewish grandparents was a Jew. A grandparent was considered Jewish if they belonged to the Jewish religious community. Thus, the Nazis defined Jews by their, religious, by their religion, bracket Judaism, and not by the supposed racial, racial traits that Nazism attributed to Jews. Racial traits, I'm going to guess, the schnoz. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> you want to weigh in? No. Okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> I really don't have much to add on this this topic. I mean, it's hard to... Uh, it's like... Uh, yeah, this topic is pretty ugly. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. So Yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay, so I'll keep going. This gets so much more fun. The laws also categorize some people in Germany as, quote, Mischlinge, quote, bracket, mixed race persons, or mutt, technically. According to law, Mischlinger were neither German nor Jewish. These were people who had one or two Jewish grandparents. Technically, I'm a mutt. The Nazi regime required individuals to prove their grandparents' racial identities. To do so, people used religious records. These included baptism records, Jewish community records, and gravestones. In terms of identification. Okay, so August 17, 1938, the Nuremberg Law was Law on the Alteration of Family and Personal Names. On August 17, 1938, the law on the alteration of family and personal names sets new name requirements for Jews in Germany. This law states that Jews can only be given specific Jewish first names. New Jewish parents must choose a name from a government-approved list. Also, any Jew who does not already have a name from this list must add an additional first name. Quote, Israel, quote, for men, and Sarah, quote, for women. Individuals have to report their new names to government offices. They also have to use both their given and added first names for business transactions. October 5th, 1938, decree on passports of Jews. The Nazi regime invalidates the German passports of all German Jews. For their passports to become valid again, German Jews must submit them to a passport office so they can be stamped with the letter J. The decree specifies that this applies to the passports of German Jews as defined by the Nuremberg Laws. September 1st, 1941, police regulation on the marking of Jews. Beginning in September 1941, all Jews in Nazi Germany are required to wear a special yellow badge in public. The, the badge must be a palm-sized yellow six-pointed star with black lines outlining the Star of David. The star must have the word Yuda, German for Jew, written in the middle. It must be visible any time a Jew appears in public. Specifically, Jews are required to sew this yellow star onto the left breast of their clothes. This order applies to all German Jews, bracket as defined by the Nuremberg Laws, bracket, who are six years old and older. Germans categorized as Mischlinge do not have to wear the star. I mean, just hearing it, 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 of course, we all kind of learned this, uh, but just hearing it again, it's kind of, uh, it's really sad. And what's even sadder is that people compare, you know, having to mask up during co uh, COVID times. As it was like wearing the, the star. Which enraged me. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, I can't go to restaurants unless, I mean, this is exactly what they exactly did. It's what not exactly. It's, no, no. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, you can go to Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, uh, and it's interesting because I didn't, I didn't actually know much about the the Mischlinger, the the mutt situation. Um, and it's funny because Freud, who was not religious at all, actually did not like religion, would have been considered a full Jew, and I would be considered a Mischlinger because I only have one or two grandparents who were Jewish. So it's it's just fascinating. Okay, so moving on, March thirteenth, nineteen thirty eight. This is the time that the Anschluss with Germany and Austria happens. March fourteenth. Um, Hitler arrives in Vienna. All Freud writes in his diary that day is Hitler in Vienna. 
On March 22nd, 1938, Freud writes about his daughter in his diary, and all it says is Anna at the Gestapo. So the Gestapo headquarters were at Mortzenplatz, which is near Schwedenplatz. Mm-hmm. I showed you that place, uh, which used to be the Hotel Metropole. And when I was Googling it just to make sure I was <laughs> looking at the right place, there's an escape room at Mortzenplatz, and I don't know if that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about <laughs> Maybe change the Google search. <laughs> I was like, escape from Mortzenplatz. Um, so his daughter is brought there and she's held all day for questioning. And this really kind of wakes Freud up because all this time, I mean, he he's, you know, abhors the Nazis. He's scared about the situation that's happening, but he just doesn't really seem to think it's going to affect him at this time. I yeah. think, I mean, you live in denial. You, you're, you're an Austrian. You grew up there. It just doesn't... Yeah, intellectual, like respected and... Yeah, world famous. So, yeah. But as soon as he knows that his daughter's been kind of brought in for questioning, it, it freaks him out. So this is interesting. The great-grandniece of Napoleon, Marie Bonaparte, mm-hmm. who used to be his patient, she moves in with the Freuds to help plan their exit from Vienna. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So at this time, 1938, uh, the Nazis start taking rented apartments from joy, uh, from joys, from Jews, and Freud had to sign over his apartment on Bergasse, where he had his practice for 52 years. Mm. And you can actually see at the museum the signing over of the paper. So now I'm going to talk about his escape from Vienna, because 1938 is when, you know, everything's happening, and this is Marie Bonaparte. So at this point, does he have his passport actually stamped with this, uh, with the J, or...? I have no idea. That's a good question. Oh, no, no, that happened later in the Nuremberg Laws. It was a little bit later. So I think, and that was maybe it started in Germany and then passed on, but that's an interesting question. It could be that he had his passport stamped already. But I would assume that, I mean, if you were unfortunate to be still there and having to put the J just not go because you're thinking nothing good could come of this you just take your passport and go somewhere else before you get a j in there yeah but i think a lot of you know if you don't have money and you don't have the means and then i think there's this you know especially with my great grandmother who was a german jew she just you just you you were born and raised in that country you just don't it's you wouldn't think something like that could happen yeah you'd be like okay maybe shlomo he's a jerk but (laughs) no no listen no no it's it's no but it it is a it's a curious I i would be curious to see if his passport was stamped with a J, but maybe that was later at a later date. I will check that out later. Um, so I'm, I got this actually from Wikipedia. This talks about how Freud gets out of Vienna. So he gets help from somebody called Ernest Jones, a British man who was the president of the International Psychoanalytical Association, the IPA. And he comes to... The IPA. The IPA. <laughs> it's, nice. it's like that one from Chicago. What is it? Uh, Goose Island. Goose Island. <laughs> Cousin from Boston. Um, so Ernest Jones, who has been watching, you know, from London, this whole situation in Germany and Austria, tells Freud that he needs to leave immediately. So this is uh, quoting paragraphs. So Jones left for London the following week with a list provided by Freud of the party of emigres for whom immigration permits would be required. Back in London, Jones used his personal acquaintance with the Home Secretary, Sir uh, Samuel Hoare. To expedite Wait, the... Is, can you spell that? H-O-A-R-E. Maybe it's Hoare. I hope. <laughs> Sir Hoare. You'll never amount to anything, Hoare. <laughs> oh, poor Hoare. Um, so, to, to, sorry. So, Sir Samuel Hoare, to expedite the granting of permits. There were 17 in all, and work permits were provided where relevant. 
Jones also used his influence in scientific circles, persuading the president of the Royal Society, Sir William Bragg, to write to the Foreign Secretary, Lord Halifax, requesting to good effect that diplomatic pressure be applied in Berlin and Vienna on Freud's behalf. Freud also had support from American diplomats, notably his ex-patient and American ambassador to France, William Bullitt. Hmm. Bullitt alerted U.S. President Roosevelt to the increased dangers facing the Freuds, resulting in the American Consul General in Vienna, John Cooper Wiley, arranging regular monitoring of Bergasse 19, where Freud hmm. lived. He also intervened by phone call during the Gestapo interrogation of Anna Freud. By the end of the month, arrangements for Freud's own departure for London had become stalled, mired in a legally torturous and financially extortionate process of negotiation with the Nazi authorities. Under regulations imposed on its Jewish population by the new Nazi regime, a commissar was appointed to manage Freud's assets and those of the IPA, that was the place, mm -hmm. uh, whose headquarters were near Freud's home. Freud was allocated to Dr. Anton Sauerwald, who had studied chemistry at Vienna University under Professor Josef Herzig, an old friend of Freud's. Sauerwald read Freud's books to further learn about him and became sympathetic towards his situation. So a good Nazi. Though required to disclose details of all Freud's bank accounts to his superiors and to arrange the destruction of the historic library of books housed in the offices of the IPA, Sauerwald did neither. Instead, he removed evidence of Freud's foreign bank accounts to his own safekeeping and arranged the storage of the IPA library in the Austrian National Library, hmm. where it remained until the end of the war. Though Sauerwald's intervention lessened the financial burden of the Reich flight tax on Freud's declared assets, other substantial charges were levied concerning the debts of the IPA and the valuable collection of antiquities Freud possessed. Unable to access his own accounts, Freud turned to Princess Marie Bonaparte, the most eminent and wealthy of his French followers, who had traveled to Vienna to offer her support, and it was she who made necessary funds available. This allowed Sauerwald to sign the necessary exit visas for Freud, his wife Martha, and daughter Anna. They left Vienna on the Orient Express hmm. on 4 June, accompanied by their housekeeper, and a doctor arriving in Paris the following day, where they stayed as guests of Marie Bonaparte before traveling overnight to London, arriving at London Victoria Station on the 6th of June. Hmm. So he was able to... Very interesting. I mean, Marie Bonaparte. Yeah. And then, then the American consul yeah. general. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And Roosevelt <laughs> involved. Um, so this doctor, Sauerwald, I thought this was really fascinating. So he was the doctor that was assigned Freud's case to pretty much monitor him by the Gestapo obviously a scientist, a chemist, and he couldn't bear the thought of these books being destroyed. Mm -hmm. So he was incredible in a way. So this is an interesting thing about him. In 1945, he was actually arrested by the Allies for working for the Nazi regime. Hmm. Anna Freud, Freud's doc uh, daughter, actually spoke out on his behalf and was finally released from prison in 1947. Oh. Now, I probably should research more because there's probably terrible things about this doctor, but I thought that. <laughs> Be like, oh, isn't that nice? And then you find out, no, no, no. Besides, everybody else he deported. No, no, that's why we just say this without any, any yeah, emotion. I, <laughs> like, that, that was great. I have no idea. I don't want to get like 16 emails being like, well, actually, <laughs> did you know? Uh, anyway, so that was an interesting little tidbit about him. So the Freuds, uh, they move into a new home in Hampstead at... Hampstead? Yeah. Long Island? No, they're in London. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was West Hampstead. 
<laughs> Long Island City. I was about to go into this whole thing. It's, it's, it's like New Egg and uh, Old Egg. <laughs> no, no, it's in England. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a fun fact. Fun fact. Oh, yeah, he hated America. Imagine he ended up like oh. <laughs> Long Island. Hey, Sigmund, come to my barbecue. Siggy. <laughs> hey, Siggy. Hey, Siggy. So, yeah, he, he moves there in uh, September 1938. This is interesting, too. So many famous people visited Freud. I mean, he's quite elderly at this point, but they visited him at his home, Virginia Woolf, mm. and Dali. Oh, that must have been interesting. Yeah. Well, because my favorite story about Dali, and I told you this a while ago, was that Dali would go to a restaurant, spend a ton of money, and then when it was time to pay, he would take out a check and then draw a little sketch on the back of it with his signature, because the restaurant would never cash it. It's brilliant. It's amazing. <laughs> so that was my favorite. Okay, so a year later, by early fall 1939, Freud's cancer is inoperable and he is in severe pain. He reaches out to Max Schur, who is a doctor, sorry, and fellow refugee. He reminds them of their agreement, which means, I want to leave this life. Mm. A tradition in my family. <laughs> But this guy's name Shur? Sure. S-C-H-U-R. Oh. So there's Shur and Bragg and Hoare. Yeah. I think at the end we're going to we'll have a word jumble to find out like the best sentence we can make with all. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> sure, Bragg. And there was the American with the last name Bullet, which was pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, so Dr. Shur uh, doses him up with morphine and he passes at 3 a.m. September 23rd. He is cremated and kept in an urn in England at a cemetery. And the interesting thing is that the urn had been a gift by Marie Bonaparte years ago. Mm. So I have some Tupperware. <laughs> um, so then 11 years later, Martha Freud pass passes and her ashes mm. are added to Two. Freud's. Oh. She'd be like, you didn't clean. <laughs> it was gone 11 years. And this wasn't cleaned up? This wasn't cleaned up. So, um, quick thing about Freud's siblings, because remember he had two half older brothers, right? And then he ended up having, I think, six living siblings, and one had passed away in childbirth. Hmm. So, his sibling Alexander actually emigrated to Canada during the Nazi regime, so he was fine. His two half brothers moved to Manchester. His... So they were not fine. <laughs> <laughs> And then they became, became Manchester United supporters, and <laughs> and uh, all the intellect was lost off of that oh, side of the no. We're gonna get so much hate mail. No, no. <laughs> and then we love Manchester. Actually, we do know somebody who's from Manchester who's very nice. Oh yeah, she's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm just being ridiculous. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just keep leaning in. Like, because you're Doctor Fraser Crane. I gotta I gotta pull up socks. Okay, so his two half-brothers moved to Manchester. His sister, Anna, married Freud's wife's brother. But they moved to the U.S. in 1892. Mm. So Martha's brother married Freud's sister. Okay. It's not a Pornhub thing. No, no, okay. I was just making sure. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, out. no, that's legal. Um, okay, so then his four other sisters. Rosa was killed in concentration camp Treblinka in 1942. Oh. His sister Mitzi was killed in concentration camp Mali Trostanets near Minsk in 1942. His sister Dolphy died of mal malnutrition at the Theresienstadt concentration camp in 1942. 
Polly Pauline was killed at Mali Trostanet's camp in 1943. Oof. So his four, four of his sisters were killed in concentration camps. Marie Bonaparte had tri- had gone back to try to save them, but it was too late. So that is the end of the Freud family, technically. And then one day I'll talk about his daughter, Anna, because she's quite fascinating. But let's talk about the main points of Freudianism. Okay. You ready? Yes. <laughs> Enough Nazi talk for today. Dreams. <laughs> so this is from uh, aspa.org. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the unconscious. Mm. So Sigmund Freud proposed that there are three parts, levels of the mind, the conscious, the pre-conscious, and the unconscious. What's your favorite? <laughs> oh, I like being unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the unconscious is the part of the mind that stores feelings, thoughts, and urges unaware to the individual. Hmm. These mental contents and processes offer, often influence the conscious experience even though we are unaware of their existence. Like when I'm mad at you when I wake up. And I ask why and then and we don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure I have a reason. And then I, then I explained that dream me was not the real me. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't even trust dream you. Um, and then we have the id. Have you heard of the id? Uh, yes. It's a, I mean, some people say ID, but no, the id. I do know the id. I know the Wizard of Id. It was a great comic strip. I think it's still around. Is it? I think so. Yeah. So Sigmund Freud theorized that the mind was divided into three parts, id, ego, and superego. The id is the part of the mind that contains one's most basic and instinctive drives. It is governed by sexual and aggressive desires and pleasure seeking. The contents of the id are entirely unconscious. Okay. Uh, The ego can be described as running interference between the id and the super eagle. E- eagle. Super ego. America. It, it sounds like a great team. Super eagles. <laughs> super eagles. Yeah. It medi- uh, meditates. It mediates between the drives of the id and the need for self-preservation. The ego is responsible for the development of the skills needed to function in the world. For example, impulse control, perception, evaluation, and judgment. Okay. We're very good at judgment. That's the ego. That's the ego. Okay. The superego can be thought of as part of the mind that acts as the conscience. This, its function is to stop or punish behavior that is unacceptable according to the ego, ideal, i.e. the standards, values, and images of perfection that begin to develop in childhood and which some psychoanalysts believe to develop over lifetime. Failure to live up to these standards results in feeling of, feelings of guilt or shame. Hmm. Success in living up to the ego ideal results in enhanced self-esteem, feeling good about oneself. Hmm. I, I, yeah. I gotta say, sometimes w- when you explain stuff, I finally understand it. Like uh, the whole thing with spe- spread spectrum uh, technology. Yeah, well, I finally yeah. got it when. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I had to really dumb it down to, for myself. But it's interesting. The super ego is mediating between the ego and the id? No, the ego mediates between the super ego and the id. Okay. And the super ego is. It's the function is to stop or punish behavior that is unacceptable according to the ego ideal. Okay, gotcha. And then I think it will do everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is fun, Bobby. (laughs) Super ego is like behave. Yeah. And then the ego kind of the ego is the middle child like I am. Okay. Yeah. Ignored. But yeah. Okay. But then the term egotistical or, you know, it has a different connotation when someone True, but maybe they just don't want to say super egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have, of course, the Oedipus 
complex. Yes. Uh, Freud used the Greek myth of Oedipus to illustrate a childhood developmental stage. Uh, occurring between the ages of three and six, when a child desires to have the parent of the opposite sex all to him or herself, to the exclusion of the other parent. In the myth, Oedipus kills Laios, who he does not realize is his father, and then marries his widow, Jocasta, who is actually Oedipus's mother. Wouldn't he know? No, because I think he's sent away as a baby. Ah, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's a Christmas party. <laughs> I just, <laughs> yeah. I forgot, I, I haven't brushed up on my... Uh, on your Greek mythology. No. Um, and it's funny, because the electric compact complex, which is supposed to be the opposite for a woman and a girl and her dad, was actually coined by Carl Jung, mm. which I thought was interesting. Then, of course, we have repression. Repression is a defensive process where an individual's impulses and instinctual desires are blocked from entering one's conscious. Regarded by Freud as the cornerstone of defense mechanisms, the process of repression involves unconsciously censoring ideas or memories deemed unacceptable. Hmm. This memory is unacceptable. Not going to think about it. <laughs> Not going to think about it. Uh, bisexuality. What's also interesting is that Freud was aware of bisexuality. He observed that pure femininity or masculinity doesn't exist in a psychological and biological sense. Every individual shows masculine and feminine character traits. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. Sure. So he was the he was the grandfather of non-binary. Exactly. No, yeah. I think I, I had no idea that it was interesting. And of course, then there's the term Freudian slip. Yeah. And I found a couple of examples. It was, of, it was after that really horrible thing that he did on the ice rink. Yes. So one Freudian slip. These are famous ones. The CBS news station accidentally called Prince William the douche of Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> and then... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Um, and then in 1988, when trying to quote John Adams, um, who quoted as saying, facts are stubborn things, Reagan slipped and said, facts are stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of a very basic level of some of Freud's ideas. It gets very complex and I just get confused. So, But it is, I mean, it is amazing because when you see what we used to do with electroshock and how we used to treat uh, psychological disorders or, or even just the whole idea of, you know, talking it out with somebody, mm -hmm. this was considered like absolutely crazy yeah. before Freud and Freud kind of said no we, we need to talk about these things yeah. I mean let's try a little cocaine <laughs> <laughs> well he stopped that early he, was... he stopped that early no it is fascinating here are a couple of Freud quotes mm -hmm. um, neurosis is the inability to tolerate ambiguity and I feel like that is a quote for me <laughs> hmm yes yeah that makes perfect sense yeah a hundred percent because it's you know, you were confused or you were surprised to hear that Jews don't have hell. And yeah. we have limbo because hell is fine, rent is free, <laughs> and we are never cold. But limbo is ambiguity. <laughs> well, listen, from a Muslim point of view, I'm always like, then what are you guilty about all the time? Like, everything. What, I would, <laughs> no hell. <laughs> no, we're guilty about everything. And then another quote is, a man who is been the indisputable favorite of his mother keeps for life the feeling of a conqueror. <laughs> yeah, you look happy. <laughs> You're the favorite. Um, so then let's talk a little bit about Freud after death and his, you know, impact. And 
Post-war, post-World War II decades were a boom time for psychiatry. Psychiatrists started leaving hospitals and setting up practices. Before it was seen as a very clinical thing, and then people from the Freud idea kind of created their own practices. Freudianism was a target of the women's movement because it was seen as very sexist. In a lot of cases, it was incredibly sexist. Um, Psychoanalysis took a hit due to the fact that there wasn't a cure rate. Like There's no... You yeah. don't, you know. All right, you don't need to come back anymore. Right, and that yeah. you, you know, you can't be like eight out of nine stars for. Right. Um, and then, especially when medication became more mainstream, a pill was a lot cheaper than hours and hours of billable hours, billable hours. So apparently, in 1975, a Nobel Prize winner for medical by a medical biologist, uh, he called psychoanalytic theory. Quote, the most stupendous intellectual confidence trick of the 20th century. I mean, I could see how it could be abused. 100%. You know, like 100%. somebody would be like, well, you got to just keep coming for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It's you, just something you do. It's something you do. Uh, there was an exhibition, or there was supposed to be an exhibition about Freud at the Library of Congress uh, in I think 1996, but they had to postpone and redesign it because of an anti-Freud movement. It finally did open in 1998. And then this is a quote from Harley Therapy. Freud's theories radically altered the way that people understood the mind back in the 1900s and his development of the quote, talking cure quote, cannot be underestimated. Freud's initial investigations in clinical practice are to psychology and psychiatry as Newton is to physics. Hmm. While we have in some respects rejected some of his theories in light of new evidence, it was his ideas which provided a platform for other psychologists, philosophers, therapists, and doctors to build on and explore. So I then also read an article from Live Science, and there's this man called Frederick Cruz who was a one-time Freudian follower and professor of English at the University of California, Berkeley, and he says some stuff. He goes, quote, Freud passed himself off as a scientist. He was very sensitive to objections and would simply laugh at an objection and claim the person making it was psychologically ill. About the Oedipus complex, quote, it's just about the craziest idea that anyone ever had. Cruz said when people asked about young girls, Freud hastily come up, came up with another idea, the Electra complex, quote, it's just a cut and paste job. Suddenly the little girl wants to have sex with her father, Cruz said, it's completely ludicrous. This is Ted Cruz? No, no. This is this is a professor at the University of California, Berkeley. But he was a student of Freud. No, he was a Freudian in terms of oh, he okay. was a fan. Well, so, obviously not that big of a no, fan. No, I guess he somebody in the family didn't write him back for Hanukkah. So then uh, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, Robert Stickold, said, quote, Freud was right about quote, day residue, quote, in dreams. But the whole psychoanalysis thing and the role of childhood sexuality was totally bonkers. <laughs> day residues are exactly what you, you think they are. What do you think they are? I, I, I would assume it's like whatever you dream sticks with you kind of subconsciously in the day. So it's actually traces or of Or the other happened. way, what yeah. happened in the day, then you dream about. Exactly. Okay. So traces of what happened in reality that find their way into our dreams. Freud was nothing if not prolific, uh, content to, content to opine on matters as diverse as sexual perversions, the notion of female, quote, hysteria and subliminal memory, or the memories that supposedly lurk in parts of the brain separate from the conscious. But for some observers, that's where the man's apparent genius lies. Quote, you can think of him as an idea factory, quote, explained Harold Takushian, a professor of psychology at the Fordham University in New York City. 
Quote, Freud never considered himself a data guy. <laughs> he hoped other people would take on his ideas to prove or disprove them. Quote. But Freud's theories are, on the whole, almost impossible to submit to the rigor of statistical analysis that legitimate science has to endure, said Cruz, the guy who hates him. That's because his ideas are hopelessly vague. How do you test for them? They're just phrases. <laughs> I don't know. The guy just seemed really mad. <laughs> I mean, he seemed irrational. Like, did he give him... Did he like? He I don't didn't know. know him. He didn't know him. This is a modern. This is an. It, this is a recent interview. He wrote a book about Freud being. Is this C O C R U Z Cruz? No, this is I think C R E W S. Oh my God! How many different ways can you spell Cruz? This is the most important thing we're taking away from the podcast. No, right you now. have uh, Penelope Cruz. You have uh, you have Cruz, Cruz, the 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 German one. Tom Cruise. Well, you have the K R O O S. What? I've never seen that name. There's a Cruz. He played for Real Madrid in the German oh, national team. that's why you know, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that it boggles my mind. And then you have that Cruz. You have Terry Cruz. Oh, yeah. How does he spell it? I'll look it up Okay. There. Well, these are the important things. People. Important but things that we're learning about. If you have uh, another weird spelling of Cruz, please uh, please write us. I get so excited. You I get scream excited. scream into the microphone. <laughs> should go on a Cruz. Yeah, Maybe. Uh, neurovirus. Okay, so continuing on. While talk therapy, this is not from the quote anymore, or from the article. While talk therapy seems to continue to be the most popular form of therapy, there's so much more out there. Animal therapy um, and nature therapy, of course, is changing. So then I found this New York... Oh, I thought for a minute you meant that the animals get therapy. Uh, there are animals that get therapy now. With, with No, but not using Freudian concepts of like, tell me about your dreams. No, but you do have like, they'll go and look at a cat and be like, the cat... It's really sad. I mean, this is a job that we should consider. Have you seen the dog chiropractors? Yes. I've watched the video on it. Have you seen the horse one? (laughs) (laughs) Do do you know what I'm doing immediately after this podcast? (laughs) Just going to hear cracks. (laughs) I mean, first of all, that means you have to like hang off the horse or something. Yeah. So they'll like, they'll kind of push it. It's, It's a whole thing. Oh, it's like multiple people? No, they just, I guess they push them against something. I watched it a while ago. That horse looks really confused. <laughs> but then, yeah, I, I guess, has to do it like every week now. It's just you know. <laughs> the horse is like, great! I gotta go weekly to the chiropractor. <laughs> Bullshit. Um, He's not a real veterinarian. He calls himself a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Chiropractic quack. All right. <laughs> so moving on, and talking about this New York Post article that I read the other day. And I heard about it because I was listening to my favorite podcast, Watch What Crappens. So it was a funny thing. And then I was watching The Real Housewives in New York. And then this person that they mentioned in the article was on the episode. So it's all full circle. All goes back to reality TV. So this New York Post article is about how post-pandemic people are leaving therapy and seeking out psychics instead. Um, Some New Yorkers are now leaving therapy and going to psychics. One woman who has been in therapy for 30 years... She's 35 years old. <laughs> Your face says that it's, quote, seeing a therapist every week is like a habit. Like they want you to keep coming back. It's almost like an addiction in a strange way, quote, she said. Yeah, I mean. 30 years of therapy. 30 years. Well, I mean, because the thing is, when, when are you better? Yeah. You know? but, but what does better mean? Like, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like. Because she says in the article that she started seeing a therapist when she was five because her parents got a divorce. 
Well, I mean, I think, well, it's kind of similar to chiropractic when you think about it that way. You have to keep no, going. You have to keep going. But then the thing is, is like, you can get really like, if you don't solve the root cause, you're just going to keep going. Yeah, like, 100%. Uh, it's the same thing. Like chiropractic has its thing because it, it will relieve the pain. But if you don't strengthen muscles and yeah. all these things. So I think it's, but yeah, but that's the, what what, did the, what was that term called that um, lent it to con, con men? Con job? Oh, yeah. They were saying it's like a big... It's just the never-ending syndrome, yeah. Yeah. No, so this woman who was saying that she's been going every week for 30 years, she believes that therapists, quote, are very disconnected from their patients, quote, especially those who chose a more, quote, artistic life path. I'm like, no, no. The artistic life path people are seeing more therapists than the other ones. I know, because I see one. (laughs) Um, So... One psychic in New York charges $497 for a session. For what? <laughs> but she adds that people shouldn't see a psychic more than once every six months. Psychic or psychiatrist? Psychic. What? Charges $497. Okay. So I looked up a, like a normal price. <laughs> you shouldn't see her more than that amount of time for tax purposes? <laughs> no, for costs. Yeah, for her, her yeah, she's yeah, probably she's like, like yeah, no. no, 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 I can't this quarter. Um, but okay, so if it's four hundred ninety-seven dollars, you go twice a year. Let's say it's a thousand dollars. A therapy session in New York, the average cost is one hundred ninety-four dollars. Yeah, and it's probably what monthly or every... weekly. What are you talking about? Oh, in New York, some people go. There's some people who go two, three times a week. Do you tip psychics? I've never been to a psychic. So I, I wouldn't once. know. Do you tip psychics? I think, I think well, I tipped her. I think in the U.S. you have to tip now for fear of death. I saw this thing where this guy was asked to tip after he pumped his own gas. I had a guy, what was it? The, the, somebody wrote in to like a Dear Abby thing and they said they had like some kind of uh, cosmetic procedure like Botox or something. Yeah. And then on the thing they were kind of, but it was something where they were coming out of like anesthesia and uh, they pressed the 20% thing on that, you know, that, that white circle or the white square thing, and yeah. they turn it around. And he's and, and the people are like, it's getting out of control now. Everyone is asking for a tip. The guy was asked to tip after he pumped his own gas. What? what yeah. You're tipping, you're paying. That yeah, you're paying yourself. Sense. No, you're not even paying yourself because I'm not even going to you. <laughs> you feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> you look, I did a good job. 20%. <laughs> no, so the whole thing with this article is they were literally saying that people, and I get it, like, I don't have a problem with people going to psychics, but I think... You just have to write, find the right therapist. It's going to take a while. It might take a while. I was lucky with mine. but yeah. So now let's quickly talk about what you, if you are a fan of Freud and you're in Vienna and you want to live, walk in his footsteps, mm-hmm. you can check out the Altus Akaha, which is the old general hospital in Vienna. And it's now a university campus. Um, this is the hospital that Freud worked at initially. It's no longer the main hospital, but yeah, it's the university. I felt very academic walking through the campus, like a young student, but I looked like a professor. You carry books, like, you know, yeah, arms like, oh, crossed. Yeah, like... yeah, I'm like, I haven't discovered backpacks yet. <laughs> um, in the Akaha, this is really crazy, there's the, good choice of word, the Narenturm, which means the crazy tower. And this is at the back of the campus, and this is where mental patients were housed. Um, and now it's an anatomical museum. I did not go inside. But it made me feel very uncomfortable looking at it. It's like this rounded building. I don't know. I got a bad sense. I knew what it was, so that's yeah. probably why. Well, sometimes you get a vibe. Something I got a vibe. Is, something happened in here. Something, something very bad. And also, I think a bit about you know being a mother of a special needs kid. Yeah. 
the lack of understanding of things in the past is devastating. So what's next is uh, the Café Landbahn, where I made you eat Tafelspitz, even though you weren't hungry, even though I told you not to eat a big lunch. It wasn't the best Tafelspitz. I know, but I the service say, was so nice. The service was great, yes. Well, probably older. one of the, well, you know that they cater to uh, tourists when the service is really good. Yeah, he was so delightful. <laughs> and then I had the, the Punschschnitte. Oh. That was delightful. That's, uh, yeah, no, the, the place was great. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's definitely more of a tourist trap now, but it's worth going. It's so cool. Then there's also the Freud Museum that I went to, and that's located in his old apartment and practice. And you can, most of his furniture, oh, all of his furniture is gone because they brought it mostly to London. So London has a museum with all his stuff, but they recreated his waiting room, which is pretty cool to see. Mm -hmm. And then they have like his hat and his medicine bag, and they've got letters. It's a really cool thing to see. I highly, highly recommend it. And then there's the Sigmund Freud Park right by the Votivkirche that I went to go see. Um, it's just a park. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's nothing else. That was, that was about it. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. So that's Freud. That was the end of part two. Well, this was a pleasure, as always. As always. And Battling is serenading uh, towards the end. Yeah, he's, he's having a good time. Um, as I said, yeah, so please check out the Frau Batsby Instagram page. There'll be pictures up of the Freud Museum and other things there today. And also, if you love the podcast, please give it five stars. You can find it on, well, if you listen to it, you found it. <laughs> <laughs> also, share with friends. Apparently, my mom's doctor even listened to an episode. Yeah. <laughs> She's a good marketer. <laughs> We're going to have her. <laughs> It was an accidental Bluetooth mishap, apparently. <laughs> but it's great. <laughs> this, is how, this is how stardom happens. Um, yeah, so I hope everybody has a great Halloween. What are we doing for Halloween, honey? Uh, well, uh, I got a lot of candy. Yeah. We'll see if uh, the children uh, come by. I don't know uh, if this is really a trick-or-treating building, but I we'll find so. out. And then um, we'll watch something scary. We'll watch something scary. Yeah. I think there's Hocus Pocus too. No, I started watching. It was terrible. Oh. We'll watch uh, Adam Family Values. Yes, that's always a good one. Pastels. <laughs> really? Really. All right, well, I hope everybody has a great day and a great time, and we'll see.